Hello, welcome to History Time, a kids' history and literature podcast where I tell you stories about history and history about stories. My name is Claire Lambert, and since this is the first episode, um, I'll go ahead and introduce myself quickly. Um, I'm currently a fifth grade teacher in Michigan. Um, I don't have any expertise, per se, on history or literature, <laughs> but it's just something I'm interested in. So if I make any mistakes, feel free to email me, and I'll give you my email at the end of the podcast. Um, today, we're going to be talking about stories about history. So I'm going to tell you the story, a story from Rome, the story of Romulus and Remus. So one note before I get started, um, Roman history is pretty much all oral tradition um, because all the original documents are not around anymore. So if I say something different than what you have heard, there are often more than one version of these stories um, just because of the nature of oral history. Every time it gets told, it gets changed a little bit. Um, and some people want to tell it a different way for different purposes. So I'm going to tell you the way I learned it, but there are multiple ways to tell this story. So we're actually going to start before Romulus and Remus um, with their ancestor. It's not even really their father, huh? It's their grandfather, Procus. Um, so Procus was the king of Alba, not Rome, because Rome had not been formed yet. Um, so we have Procus, and he's the king of Alba. He has two sons. Their names are Amulius and Numitor, and they're brothers. Um, now, Numitor is the older brother, so when his father dies, he is uh, crowned king. So Procus dies in 749 BC, and Numitor becomes king. But shortly after, Amulius is not very happy about that. So he tells Numitor, he says, Numitor, I'm going to be king. <laughs> now, there's not very much information on how this happens. Some people say it was violently. Um, I'm more inclined to think that he just kind of bullied him out of it uh, because he actually didn't kill Numitor. He left him alive, and he didn't even really put him in prison. He just kind of moved him. He's out in the country just kind of living his life. Now, this is kind of where the violent part comes in. Um, when Amulius became king, he killed uh, Numitor's son. Now, he didn't kill his daughter, so Numitor had a son and a daughter. Uh, his daughter's name is Rhea, and he left her alive, but he made her become a Vestal Virgin. So Vestal Virgins, and I'm going to tell you about what we know from later Roman history, uh, just because there's not as much information from earlier on, but Vestal Virg being a Vestal Virgin was actually an honor. Um, it was a position that you were appointed to, and girls between the ages of 6 and 10 could apply. There was usually about 20 candidates. And there was actually pretty strict requirements on it. You had to be a patrician, which was the upper class. You had to be free of physical and mental issues. You had to have two living parents and be the daughter of a freeborn resident of Rome, um, which was actually pretty hard to do because there was a lot of um, slaves in Rome and there was also... A lot of fighting. So, <laughs> so it was pretty rare to have somebody who is between the age of six and ten of the upper class with two parents and a daughter of a freeborn resident of Rome. So when you became a Vestal Virgin, they only picked um, two out of the 20. So you took a 30-year oath of chastity, and if you broke this, you were put to death. So at the age of six or 10, um, you had to take that 30 year oath. So this is pretty much, you're a Vestal Virgin until you're like 40. 
uh, and Vestal Virgins were appointed to maintain a fire in Rome. And there were some other duties they had too, but this was the main one. So the name comes from Vesta, who is the goddess of hearth and home. And the idea of the fire was that it would protect Rome. And they also, uh, the Romans could use it to start a fire in their own home. So if the fire went out, they didn't like have lighters. So they would just go over to the Vestal fire and get some fire for their house. Now, it, like I said, it was kind of an honor, um, not so much in this case, but normally it was pretty a privileged position. So they took part in a lot of ceremonies. Um, Vestal virgins were given a special place at events. They were given important items like uh, documents or, I don't know, treasures, I guess. I'm not sure. Um, and they were always trusted to be truthful. So if a Vestal virgin told you something, it was taken as the truth and whatever happened, happened. So if they said, oh, he stole this, then he would get punished without any other proof. Um, only women... They were the only women who could vote. So that's actually kind of a big deal because in Rome, the only people who were allowed to vote at the time were the, kind of like in early America, the landowning males who were citizens of Rome. And a lot of the population, women, children, and uh, the slaves in the lower class most of the time didn't have as much of a say. Uh, they were also given bodyguards. And here is, I think, the most surprising part. Um, I, I found this on historyhit.com, so I've never seen this anywhere else before, but um, I think it's really interesting, so I'm going to tell you. They could free slaves and prisoners by touching them. <laughs> so if a Vestal Virgin saw a slave walking by um, and she touched him, they were just free to go. <laughs> um, and also, if a prisoner was going to be um, executed and he saw a Vestal Virgin, even if she didn't touch him, he was not killed. He was just put back in prison. So they had some pretty big powers, um, mostly who that came from the being servants of the god Vesta. Um, but that was not Amulius's reason for making Rhea a Vestal virgin. What he wanted to do was prevent her from having sons. So he was more interested in that 30-year oath of chastity. He did not want Rhea to have sons who could one day try to take the... Um, thrown from him, which is kind of ironic since that's exactly what he did. <laughs> so regardless of this 30-year um, chastity commitment, she actually becomes pregnant four years later. Now, most people say that um, the child was the son of Mars, who was the god of war. I've also heard it said that um, Amelius dressed up like in disguise and attacked her. Um, I can only imagine wearing a fancy mustache. Um, I don't know how you could trick your niece into not knowing who you were, but we'll stick with the child of Mars because that's kind of a nicer story. Um, so Rhea, obviously not wanting to get killed, pretended that she was sick and kind of made herself scarce. So she, you know, went away from the public. Um, but Amulius found out um, and she was sentenced to death because that's what happens when you break your oath as a festal virgin. But before she was put to death, she actually did give birth to two twin boys. Now, Amulius obviously did not want her to have kids. That was the whole reason he made her a Vestal Virgin. Um, so he took the kids and he gave them to his servants or whatever. And he said, hey, um, go get rid of these kids. <laughs> so he took them in a basket or the servants took them in a basket and left the kids by the Tiber River. Uh, they didn't actually kill them, but they were just kind of assuming, oh, if we leave them here, they'll, you know, we'll be done with it, they'll die. 
and that's not what happened. When they left the, um, when they left the basket by the Tiber, the river actually flooded, and the basket got swept down the river, where it was found by a wolf. And the wolf, it said in legend, raised the children to childhood. Um, I, I also saw that some other animals, like a woodpecker, would help by bringing them food. Um, and a few, it doesn't say how long, but later, when the kids were a little older, they were found by a shepherd named Fasciulus who took them in and raised them to adulthood, seeing that they didn't have any parents. Um, now, fast forward. Fastulus names these children Romulus and Remus. Um, Romulus and Remus became uh, herdsmen for Fastulus, so they were working on his farm or whatever. Um, they frequently got into arguments with the other herdsmen, namely Numiter's herdsmen. Now, if you remember, Numiter is actually their father. Um, they don't know that <laughs> at the moment since they were grown, brought up by the wolf and Fastulus who didn't know who they were. Um, sorry, that's my dog. They got into arguments was basically that Romulus and Remus were just doing whatever they wanted. They would take their sheep, I guess, into other people's land, pretty much just ignoring any of the rules that normal herdsmen had. Um, Numiter's men were not super happy about this. Um, so one day they made this plan to get rid of them. <laughs> uh, so they actually wanted both of them, but they only were able to capture Remus. Um, and they took him to Amulius, who was, again, the current king. And Amulius says, yep, they're guilty. Uh, since it was your land, Numenor, you get to decide what happens to them. Now, sometime in this discussion, <coughs> um, Numenor, Romulus, and Remus realize that they are related, that they're his sons. Um, and they make this plan to restore Numitor, who is the rightful heir, to the throne. So the brothers, it's kind of debated whether or not Numitor actually helped in this, but the brothers overthrow Amulius and kill him and reinstate Numitor as the king. So now you have their uncle who stole the throne, who is dead. Um, I don't really know what happened to Rhea, so she, she's probably dead though. Uh, then you've got Numitor, who is their father, and the two sons who helped restore him to the throne. Now, Romulus and Remus want to found their own city. So they go over to the new area that Numitor uh, said they could have, and they start making plans for this new city. Now, obviously, the first question is, who's going to be in charge? They, don't, they can't both be king. Um, so Romulus says, you know what? I think I should be king, and I think we should build Rome right here on Palatine Hill. And Remus says, nope, sorry, Romulus, uh, I want to be king, and I think we should build it over here on Aventine Hill. So, obviously, <laughs> they leave it up to the gods to decide. Back in Roman times, it was common practice to let the will of the gods decide things, um, and they would use a, I don't know if you want to call it a science, but they would use a process called augury, which was determining the will of the gods by looking at birds. So basically bird watching. So what they do is they get their friends, they don't have that many friends, but they ha get a couple friends each and go to the top of their respective hills. So Romulus is sitting over on Palantine Hill and Remus is sitting over on Aventine Hill. And they're looking up at the sky, waiting for some birds to come by. Now, Remus sees six vultures and his friends are like, oh my gosh, there's the birds. Obviously the gods want you to be in charge of this. Uh, this new town, or new city. 
Um, so Remus's friends go over to Romulus and they're like on the way over. They're like, hey, Romulus, like going up to his hill. When at that same moment, Romulus sees 12 vultures fly overhead of him. So we're kind of back at the same spot. They get together and Remus says, hey, I saw six vultures first. Obviously, that means I should be king. But then Romulus says, well, I saw more vultures. So that means that the gods decided I should be king. Um, and they got into what I can only imagine was a very heated fist fight. And Remus eventually surrendered. So Romulus now decides to start building Rome, of which he is king, on Palatine Hill. And this is in 753 BC. Now, he's building up his little city. He's got some walls that he's working on. Um, his brother's still not very happy about this outcome <laughs> since he thought he should be king, since he saw the vultures first. Um, and he goes up to uh, Remus's, or Romulus's wall, and Remus says, Hey, Romulus, <laughs> this wall is so short. Anyone could get over this. And he jumps over the wall, making fun of it and proving how bad it is. Now, Romulus says, Hey, brother, I'm not quite done with this wall. I just started building it. And he gets really upset, and he actually kills him. He, he kills him, and he says, And so shall perish whomever shall jump over my walls. A reaction to the whole situation, but regardless, now his brother's dead, and he's in charge of this budding new city on top of Palatine Hill. Um, and that's the end of our episode for today. So next week, I'm going to make another episode on Romulus and, well, not Remus because he's dead, but just Romulus and the start of Rome and what challenges he faces in his new city. Feel free to email me at historystorytime at gmail.com. Again, that's historystorytime at gmail.com. Um, I would also like for you to email me if you have any suggestions for the podcast or if you have any stories of history that you like to tell that are really interesting. And I'd love to hear how you tell it so that maybe I could make it an episode in the future or just tell it to my class. <laughs> Listening to my first episode, um, I'm going to put my sources that I use in the show notes. Um, and I'd love it if you could join me next week or I might release an episode on Friday. So we'll see. Oh, wait, today's Friday. Right, next Friday. <laughs> so I might release an episode um, next Friday as well. So there might be one before the upcoming Monday. And I hope to hear you. <laughs> I hope that you listen again next week. Bye.